Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. The 102nd edition of the Four Corners podcast starts right now. Black holding high, goes to Darty. Darty in the double team, gives it back to Black with 20 seconds left to play. Goes back to Michael Jordan, jumper from out on the left, good! Rebounded by Weber. Michigan out of timeout. Weber front court, Carolina with foul. He takes the timeout, they're out of timeout. Technical foul, technical foul on Michigan. Ed Corbin says he can run the baseline, hands in the ball. Brown gets it into Williams. Here comes Williams front court. Williams on the drive. Gets it back out to him. Long outside shot. Short rebounded. May. It's over. Carolina has won the national championship. 89-72. And how about them Tar Heels? They are the national champions. Matthews off the mark. And this year, the confetti is going to fall for North Carolina. They're not going to be denied this time. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Four Corners Podcast. We are powered by Carolina Electrical Services. Josh and Anthony back with you guys today. Getting you ready for Duke Carolina Part 2. That'll come up this Saturday, 6 o'clock, over in Cameron Indoor Stadium. And as you well know, it is Coach K's final home regular season game as his retirement tour does come to an end in the regular season so there'll be special coverage all day on ESPN and ACC Network leading up to tip-off at 6 p.m. We're going to break down the Blue Devils since the last time we saw them, get you updated some stats on Carolina, some rivalry stats for you as well. Take a look back at that first matchup before we give our keys to the game and pick the game. Uh, but before we do any of that, uh, we start every preview edition of the pod as we always do. With the pod thought of the day, and I know that the pod thought of the day was something that we in, we brought to the show when we rebranded as the Four Corners Podcast, um, and, and so we haven't yet used one twice, but I do think moving forward, this one will be one that we use more often than not in regards to the Duke game because it's a part of the fabric of the rivalry. And it's a part of the, the, the fight song, in which it was uh, the same one we used the very first time, which it simply stated, go to hell, Duke. And that's uh, th- that's what's on the goal this upcoming Saturday. Carolina looking to play spoiler and spoil what's going to be one of the most emotional settings in the history of college basketball. And I've said this kind of all season long, that um, this is the this will be the, the toughest regular season game to win, in my opinion, in the history of the sport, when you factor what's going into the game um, with with the retirement and all that, so um, Carolina's got a, they got a big challenge on their hand. But this is a team that um, has has won a couple games here in a row, and it looks like they are trending back in the right direction. Kind of like when these two teams met back the first weekend of February. So 
Let's take a look at the Blue Devils here, and they come in with a pretty good record. They're twenty six and four. They are four. They are sixteen and three. Excuse me, in the ACC, and with their thirty point win over uh, over Pittsburgh earlier this week, did lock up um, the a share of the ACC regular season ACC title. The first time Duke has done so since the two thousand nine ten season, which they went on to win the national championship that year in Indianapolis against Butler. Um, they got five players that average double figure scoring, led by. Uh, Paulo Bancaro, who's continued to have a sensational freshman season. But the big difference between this Duke team, e- even from when the first time we saw them, has been the emergence of A.J. Griffin. And in that, the first game, he really kind of came on. He scored 27 points in the game for Duke. And he's really become the X factor for them. Uh, when he plays at a high level, that's usually when Duke looks like a, a – you know, they, they look like a team that's more than capable of making a run to the Final Four – maybe winning a national championship. Um, they're 12th in the country in offensive scoring output as they average 80.3 points per game. But this is also a really good defensive team, and this is a defensive team, or this is a, a team that gave Carolina fits on offense in that first matchup. Um, they they allow the second fewest made free throws and attempted free throws per game. So that means they play good defense without fouling. Um, and that's a really hard thing to do with today's basketball, given the way the rules are are built to get the to get the most out of the offensive players, but um, we know when Coach K's teams play defense, that's usually when they're at their best, and that's why they they're having the type of season that they are having so far. So enough talking about the enemy. Let's get over to the Carolina side of things. Um, they come in with a twenty-two and eight record. They're fourteen and five in the ACC, and um, they secured the all-important double buy win their win over Syracuse and overtime on Monday, and that's really important every year, but especially this year for a team that goes seven, eight deep at the most, and it's a really hard formula or it's a really hard rotation to to project you playing deep into any type of tournament setting. So right now they they won't play until next Thursday up in Brooklyn in the in the ACC tournament. As for the NCAA tournament, they have now moved themselves solidly into the field. They're on that 10-line they're they're not even among one of the teams receiving the last four buys into the field. So, barring something crazy, it looks like they have almost locked themselves into the field of 68. Something that we couldn't have said with much confidence just two weeks ago. They have four players averaging double figure scoring, led by Armando Baycott, who leads the team um, with 16.7 points and 12.7 rebounds. He tied Bryce Johnson with 23 double-doubles for the most in a single season in the history of Carolina basketball. He has 24 double-digit rebounding games, which is the most in the history of Carolina basketball. He set that record on Monday as he broke, or as he tied the the the, the double-double record with Bryce. As for the, the Nuggets around the Duke-Carolina matchup, as of right now, Carolina holds a 141-115 to edge in the series despite losing... Um, the, the first matchup by 20 back in Chapel Hill. And if you date back to the 1949-50 season, these two teams have played 187 times since then. Carolina has won 100 of those games. They've averaged scoring 76.2 points per game in those contests while allowing just while allowing 76 points per game in those contests. So just a point two point differential between in, in those last 187 matchups. So 
buddy, um, we were kind of hoping that maybe Duke would slip up along the way and this game could have first place on the line in the ACC, but that didn't happen. Duke took care of business on the road at Syracuse and at Pittsburgh, and you look back to that Carolina loss to, to Pittsburgh a few weeks ago, and it really made it hard to even put yourself in that type of position to begin with, but um, it's still it's still Duke-Carolina, um, and usually when you have the type of result you got the first time, which was a blowout, that usually means the second time you get a you get a classic, and that means you're going to get a great game. And um, I think this is a different Duke team than we saw a month ago, and I think this is a different Tar Heel team than we saw a month ago. And if, if for Carolina, a much more positive, different Carolina team, I think they're more committed, they're more bought in, they're more everything in a positive way as of right now. And uh, it, it's it's going to be a challenge going into that building going into that setting and trying to get a win. But I do think we're a little bit more confident they can do just that than we would have thought a month ago after getting blown out at home in the Smith Center. Yeah, no, there's no doubt about that. And, I mean, you know, look, since then, of course, you've had the loss to Pittsburgh, but they've recovered from that game. And uh, I think, you know, they've done they've done a really good job of, of becoming the type of team that it feels like Huber Davis has been striving to try to get them to be the entire mm-hmm. season. Um, you know, for Duke, it's kind of weird. They're kind of on the same roller coaster that we've been. There's been, you know, this stretch of games here towards the end of conference season where there have been times where they felt really good about their chances, uh, which is what they're feeling right now. I, you know, somebody that we know well said today when we were talking about the game, um, and we were just in general about Duke that this is starting to feel like a special Duke team. Two weeks ago, they were saying, man, they're struggling with everybody they're playing. This is a team that could be out on the first weekend. So, honestly, it's it's these teams are up and down. They're inconsistent, which is a thing that you see across all of college basketball. But it feels like Carolina's starting to get back into that offensive rhythm that they were in at least early on in the season, especially from beyond the arc. They are shooting the ball a lot better from outside. They're hitting the shots when they need to. And, I mean, they – you look at the game against Syracuse, that was a game where Carolina needed to make threes because that was what the offense had to be in that moment, and they did that. So that this could be a similar game because they had trouble driving the basket in the first game. Duke's guards are very good at closing off the lane. They're quick. So Carolina's going to probably have to get creative in how they score the basketball. And the other thing, I feel pretty confident, at least I hope, that they are not going to come out with Armando on Palo Bancaro, <laughs> which will in turn, hopefully, allow him to not have two fouls before the under-four timeout. Let's let's hope that's not the strategy again, but I guess y- you never really know. But what we'll, I, I feel confident that they have learned from the first matchup, and not to mention that, look, I've seen a lot of people that have said, you know, Carolina is at a huge disadvantage in this game because of the fact that it's Kay's final home game. I mean, I guess from 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 an environment standpoint, inside of Cameron, I get what they're saying. In terms of the players on the floor, you said, look, this is the toughest regular season basketball game to ever win in the history of the sport. Is this also not the toughest game in the history 
of college basketball to play in as the side that has to play for a coach that is wanting to go out on top with as much that is going on around this game as there is? Oh, the amount of pressure that exists just naturally in this game, right, Mm -hmm. is Duke Carolina. It's the best rivalry in sports. You have that. Yep. And then you've got, on the for the Carolina side of things, trying to rebound from the first game of the, of, of, of the year against Duke. Hubert Davis trying to get his first win against Duke, which will be a thing um, because that's usually – I mean, look, look at Roy Williams' first win against Duke. 05, Marvin Williams bank shot. Carolina goes on to win the ACC in the national championship. That's going to mean something for him. And then for Duke – you you don't want to send your legendary Hall of Fame head coach out with a loss on your home court to your biggest rival. So there's always nerves and anxiety that exist in the first, usually the first, at least to the first media timeout. Sometimes even to the second timeout. That that's going to be to a whole nother level mm-hmm. in this game. Fa- also factor in that it's going to be. Senior night for the 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 the, uh, the Duke program, so they'll be honoring whatever senior exists on the roster, and um, so yeah, it's it's going to be it's going to be a spectacle. I think that's you know when whenever we got the news about the retirement, we all made fun of it because he said he didn't want to he didn't want a tour, but that's what it's effectively become. And look, the guys earned the right to go to all these different places and to be praised. What he's done for the game of basketball, what he's done for this conference, cannot be understated. He's the best coach in the history of the sport, but he's the enemy, so we hate him. But as a sports fan, as a guy who works in sports, the scene that's going to be in the building that night is going to be one that we'll never forget. And we don't forget many Duke Carolina nights as it is. Mm-hmm. But this one's going to be just so much more special because you know it's his last one. You didn't know when it was Dean's, it was Dean's. Yeah, we're never going to experience that as Tario Fence because even if, let's say, Hubert becomes a legendary head coach, he's going to do this is going to be the way that Carolina coaches are going to step away. Well, and even like. Even if you knew it was Doherty's last Duke game, it wasn't. <laughs> there, there would have been a celebration, but it wouldn't. Have, it wouldn't have quite been to send him off after a legendary career. It wouldn't have been in the, in, the, in a positive connotation like this one, or like wasn't his last game in ca- or in camera? Wasn't his last game in the Smith Center when he fought uh, Dante Jones? I believe so. <laughs> you know, so that, he did. He did go out. In a in a blaze of glory. Although, I, I, like I've said before, that's one of my favorite moments in the li- the rivalry. I love seeing the passion of Coach Doherty running down there, ready to square up with this dude for you know being being him. That was one of those dudes where I didn't get to see that dude. I've heard that is one of the most hated dudes in this rivalry. So, yeah, it's it is going to be wild. Um, and ESPN's coverage is just un unfreaking believable. The amount of different things that they're going to do. And for me, personally, I feel a little bit jealous on behalf of Roy Williams because I would have loved to see what they would have done for him. Mm -hmm. I think he would have gotten something very similar to that because, I mean, yeah, these are two of the greatest coaches. I mean, these are, from our generation, these are the two greatest coaches of this generation. Yes. 
And I don't think it's really that close. Don't give me Jim Beheim or Jim Beheim. Yeah, don't. Well, don't give me him or Jim Calhoun. I don't think either one of them are comparable to these two being a part of this rivalry as well. So, yeah, that's the only thing that that I kind of think of. Um, clearly, I'll be annoyed as a Tario fan, mm-hmm. but at the same time, here's what I'm going to do. I'm just not going to watch any of it and just watch the game. Let Duke fans have that moment with, as you mentioned, a guy that is revered as the best coach in the history of basketball, not only because of what he's done there, but because of what he's done with Team USA too. So My only problem with the coverage that ESPN is doing is this should be how it is every time. Duke and Carolina meet on a, on on a basketball court. Do you want do you want moving forward a Hubert and and Shire camp separate cameras just on the coaching staff? I mean, I don't I'm not saying going that far, <laughs> but you look at you got a 2-hour college game day. You got the nothing but net show on the ACC network. ESPN has the rights to the best rivalry in sports, but the last couple of years, really the last Outside of the year Zion was at Duke, it was to them just another game. It's now, it's just it's yeah it's just another Saturday. They start advertising a week before, mm-hmm. and Which I it's say. like minimal coverage. And like you, one of the things that disappeared this year, and I think it was they they still did it last year, but this year where are all the classic games that yeah. they used to put on? Those are gone. What what happened to that? Why did you get re- what is so important that you got to put on these other channels that you couldn't have that on there? I'm gonna be honest with you. They should run reruns of Duke Carolina over live programming. <laughs> all right, all right, all right, all right. Because uh, those I would watch that before I'd watch Get Up. But you, you know, like so th- th- that's what that's my irritation is give me this coverage every year because you have the rights to it. You also, the other thing about ESPN is how many different guys now through ESPN and through the ACC network do you have that have been involved in the rivalry? Exactly. Like there are so many different guys that have been involved and you're just kind of... You're just kind of ignoring it. I agree. that They have definitely taken a step back when it comes to pumping it up, which I, I don't understand. I mean, look, the last three years, yeah, it hasn't been on paper going into the games. They haven't been as legendary of matchups, you would think. But then you have the one back in February of 2019 in the Smith Center where Duke comes back. And that's one that, you know, for Carolina fans, we'll never we'll never watch that again. But for Duke fans, they'll want that on replay forever. Well, we, there, there's back, all sorts of those types of moments. You go back to last year's game in Cameron, which at the time, both teams were – Duke was a 500 basketball team. Carolina was just slightly above it. Of course, no fans in, in Cameron because of the pandemic. And the whole notion was, well, this isn't Duke Carolina – and you got a 91-87 thrilling basketball game. Like the game still delivers. Well, that, that went that went out the window even in the first game of the year. Once you settled in in the first couple of minutes, like there's there's just a different feel when you watch those two teams mm-hmm. play. And I don't understand, like you said, why they are not leaning into that rivalry more. Because no offense to ESPN, what is what is special about the events that you cover anymore? Like, well, what can you make? Super Bowl in a couple years. It, can, it, yeah, but I mean, it They've took you. It took you. Final this it year. It took you how long to get that? 
The Stanley Cup final, dude, look, I love hockey. <laughs> that is not comparable to these matchups, not the national hype around it. I don't even know if the NBA finals have the same hype as Duke Carolina. I don't think so. So you you need to pump more into this. And like I said, you have the voices there that are willing to do it. You have guys, you, if you asked Roy to do feature pieces, we've seen it before he's done feature pieces. Kay's done feature. Ask these dudes, try to make this a big deal because it seems like for some reason, one of the sports that you have the one of the biggest influences in during the season, you just, you seem to ignore. And I don't really, I don't really understand that. It, you know. Let's take a look back at the first matchup between these two schools. And in case you didn't know, um, because Corey Alexander has called almost every game since the first Duke, the Duke game, Carolina trailed 33-8 to in the first quarter. They would come back and cut the lead as close to, I think, 11. R.J. Davis missed a three right before halftime that would have gotten it back down to the, the single digits. Carolina never got closer than that. They went on to lose 87-67. to 67. In a game that didn't even feel that close, um, Carolina came out flat. There was an uphill climb from the word go. They shot just 41% from the field. Did shoot 41% from behind the three-point line, led by Brady Manick going 6 of 10. Um, but, of course, the big thing in that game was Armando Baycott started the game out on Paulo Bancaro for God knows why. Got two fouls in a minute and a half. And even though Bancaro didn't dominate the game, it was A.J. Griffin who really just took over the game. He scored 27 points for Duke in the ball game. It affected the way Carolina played the, the rest of the game. And, and not having your best player on the court in the biggest game, um, it was impactful. I mean, and, you didn't have your inside presence right off the bat. Yep. And you never – they offensively, they could never seem to settle into a groove after that. And I – I still, to this day, am scratching my head as to why. What what, what about that move seemed to make sense to you at all? I don't really. Is What's the matchup? The size? That's literally the only reason you would, you would think of that matchup. And here's the other thing about that. Hubert Davis wasn't the only guy that came up with that decision. He will say, I did. That was a conversation that was probably had between him and the front court coaches. And as a group, they came up with the idea of let's put Mondo on Bancaro. Yeah, and it was the wrong decision. But I mean, you had you had his foul issues. The guards really struggled. Love and Davis combined to shoot just seven of twenty-one from the field, as they combined to score just nineteen points. And it was it was a forgettable night, but. I do think Carolina has – they've come a long way, I think, since that game. They've won 6 of 7, the only blunder, of course, that home loss to Pittsburgh, which I think now has served as a turning point for the season. I think Carolina's been a different team since that game. It took eight of those type of losses for the light switch to finally turn on, but I do think the light switch has finally turned on, where we've seen a team play with more desperation, more energy, effort, and toughness, as Schubert Davis likes to say, but – there's no denying that Carolina can't they, they they can't shoot the ball as poorly as they did in the first matchup. You can't put Armando Baycott on Bancaro, at least not willingly, and you gotta be able to contain and guard AJ Griffin a lot better in this matchup if you want any chance to win. So um that was that was what happened the first time. We're hoping for a different outcome this this second time around. We're gonna take a quick break. 
We'll play you this week's ad from DraftKings, and then when we come back, we, uh, we'll give you our keys to the game to a win over Duke and Cameron on Saturday night. As if the McCrispy couldn't get any better, Bacon and Ranch just entered the chat. The Bacon Ranch McCrispy, available at participating McDonald's for a limited time. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hoops fans, the latest offer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, is too good to pass up. I'm talking between the legs, 360 windmill good. New customers can bet just $1 on any team and get $150 in free bets if they win. It's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still take your shot at a big day payday. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Basketball Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code TBPN. Bet just $1 on any NBA team and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. 21 older Minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details for a list of requirements and state-specific responsible gaming resources. Voidware prohibited. Minimum $5 deposit. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER in Tennessee. Call or text the Tennessee Red Line at 1-800-889-9789. In Connecticut, call 888 888- 789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369. Hey guys, Anthony here. Make sure you head over to the Heel Tough blog website. Check out all of the coverage that Josh is going to have for you regarding the Syracuse game. We got the Duke game coming up this Saturday, Coach K's final game, but Josh will be giving you the Tar Heel angle on how they come out with a win over on the website. And then make sure you check out the football side of things. The Tar Heels lose Stacey Searles, but do bring in a new offensive line coach. Go check out who that is. And we've got a couple of articles up there for position battles to watch during spring camp as well as players to watch during spring camp. Head over to Really hope you guys are taking great advantage of all the great offers I've been giving you on the four-corner side of things. Same for Anthony over there on the Heel Tough blog side of things. Well, coincidentally enough, the very first key to the game I have is a fast start because it's hard to overcome a 33-8 deficit in your home building Trying to do it in that environment would be insurmountable. And I think, so they need a fast start, and it needs to be with the guards. I I, I feel like this is a game where you need Love and Davis to play at a very high level. Mm -hmm. Um, I think they've displayed a level of mental toughness that I don't even think we knew existed in them. Uh, before the season started and even during the season because of how highs the highs were and how low the lows were. But I think we've now found a, a common ground where at least we know they're going to play and they're going to try their hardest. And, you know, the, those those plays Caleb Love made the other night in the, win, the overtime win over Syracuse, you don't make that unless you've got something special about you. Um, he's a frustrating player. And and he's maybe the most. And he, he's, he will be for as long as he's here. 
but he displayed the other night he has the ability to take over games. And you go back to his first two games against Duke last year, he had his two best performances of the season. Last year in Cameron, 25 points and a seven assist. It's hard to ask him to have that same production again in this game, but I wouldn't complain if he had it. But I feel like Carolina getting off to a fast start. I'm not saying they got to build a lead or whatever. They just got to not get run off the court early because there is going to be that pent-up emotion, that excitement. And, and sometimes Duke comes out and they punch right away. So Carolina's got to fa- they got to start fast. Weather that initial storm, that way when the game really settles in under 12-minute uh, media timeout, they'll, they'll, they'll be in a good spot the rest of that first half. Yeah, it, uh, it's – it, it it just it concerns me that the guards are the ones that have to start fast because there have been few games this year where that's really happened. Even in some of the games where Carolina's played really, really well, the guards usually still have to settle in. But you're right. They have to get off to a good start out of the gate because, like I said, I think this is going to be another one of those games where you've got to knock down a good amount of outside shots. I, I think, look, you got to get it in the post to Baycott, but I think they're going to double him a lot. And we know that we, from the first time, and if you just follow the ACC overall, you're going to have Mark Williams going up against Baycott, and he's one of the better rim protectors in the league. Um, now, the good news is, is that on the other end, the last time that they saw Baycott, he wasn't as good of a rim protector as he's become here down the stretch. He's That's taken that step. So we'll see if that translates for him. But I think this is a game where you've got to be able to knock down some of those tough outside shots. And look, there there have been a lot of moments this year where Caleb Love has, has, has hit those shots. Late in the shot clock, five, you know, four seconds to go. He does that little shimmy and just knocks one down from the outside. You're going to need that. You're going to need Brady Manick to hit a couple of those tough shots. That was one of the things that really hurt Carolina in that first matchup. Manick just could not seem to get one of those threes that we've seen go down more and more as the season has gone along after they were going down early in the year, too, before he hit that slump. Now we're starting to see him hit some of those tough threes again. Carolina needs that in this game. They've got to shoot the ball well. And like you said, it's got to be from the get-go because I do think, at least initially, it could go one of two ways. This could be a Duke team that's extremely nervous, comes out, turns the ball over a bunch, takes a bunch of bad shots, or this could be a Duke team that comes out and is ready to give you their best punch mm-hmm. right out of the gate. Well, that's You've got to be when ready. They came, when they came to your building the last time, was that team was prepared. And they came out and they punched first and Carolina wasn't able to recover. Right, but the pressure isn't going to be... This is, like we said earlier, the pressure for them in this game is really unlike any other that we've seen in college bass. It's going to be... We don't know how their team is going to react. And there's a lot of freshmen, so it could it could go that first way. But it could be, hey, look, we're motivated to come out here and put these guys behind us pretty quickly like we did the first time. Carolina's got to be smart about how they approach it, though. And you can't – it cannot be what we've seen at times from them this year where they don't move – the ball's stagnant, guys aren't moving without the basketball. They still have to move the ball well. I just think it's going to be – there will be a lot of those opportunities from the outside at times that they've got to capitalize on. 
The second key I have in this game is I think you got to contain A.J. Griffin because I think when he's playing at a elite level, I think that's when Duke looks like a team that's more than capable of winning a national championship. And he torched Carolina on both ends in the first matchup, 27 points, 11 of 17 shooting from the field, 3 of 6 from behind the three-point line. And um, the, the biggest problem was the fact that Carolina was so keyed on taking away Bancaro because at the time Griffin working back from a knee injury hadn't really rounded into into form. Bancaro's a special player, and this is still a guy who you can't let take over a game, but he'll disappear. And he was a pretty on much, his own accord. Yeah. He was a non factor really in the first matchup. Just thirteen points, five of fourteen from the field. The biggest issue for Carolina is who to put on who because you can't put you're, you can't put Baycott on Bancaro, or at least you, you at least you shouldn't. No, you, you learn your lesson. The no, first no, time. no. There's no you shouldn't. You can't. You are not allowed. Call if that happens. If that happens, I I encourage any Tar Heel fan that is in attendance run on the floor, run on the floor, create a distraction, cause a timeout. That no, no. Um, and so that really puts you on either you put Leaky Black on AJ Griffin, which I think is the best matchup, but that leads you suspect with. Brady Manick on on Bancaro, and you just live and die with what he does. And I and I think I think that's Carolina's best option. You know Manick's going to fight defensively, no matter who he's playing against. He's mm-hmm. going to compete. Um, that hasn't been an issue with him all year long. So I think the natural guy to put on him is Leaky Black, and he did a fantastic job the other night coming off the knee injury on Saturday, limiting limiting Buddy Bayheim. Um, to just 14 points shooting, and even got on Cole Swider after he got off to a really hot start as well for Syracuse. So I think that's the guy you you put on Griffin because um, if 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 Roach makes plays, even if if Wendell Moore, if those guys are making plays, I think you live with those guys beating you. I don't think you want Bancaro and Griffin cooking you uh, no. for, for for 40 minutes. No, it, but it's. It's so tough. I I mean, that was the matchup that we said the first time was going to be the challenge because one or the other is going to be left exposed. This is where not having Anthony Harris shows up and really just having no one off the bench. Even Dawson Garcia. Dawson Garcia, I mean, he he was better better defender – in space than Brady Manic was. But the thing, it's so challenging because you could say, you know, and I, I think we'll see him at times, Puff Johnson's probably a better overall matchup on Bancaro and you allow Leaky Black to focus on A.J. Griffin. I think the worry about Puff is, and look, Puff's been a fantastic addition the second half of this season. Right. Is, does it get exposed? Because you know what you're getting from him. Look, there's talent that exists in him, mm-hmm. but he makes a lot of his plays off of effort. Well, the other problem with putting him on the floor, if you're putting him on Bancaro, that presumably means one of your bigs is out. Which one of those dudes are you taking off the floor right now? You taking off Mondo, who's a double-double machine, or are you taking off Brady, who's probably hit some of the biggest shots for you down the stretch of the season, including the shots that gave you any sort of hope in the game against Duke the first time. Like, that's that's the challenge. Like, it's you think, okay, this guy does one thing better on the other end, but, hey, if we, you know, we take him out, 
offensively, all of a sudden we're in trouble there. So it's there's no real right answer, but I think you're I think you're right because Bancaro at times this year has sort of taken himself out of games and this sort of feels and who knows, maybe he is a guy that steps up because this is the rivalry and this is Coach K's final game at home. And I think the other thing that you can do is, look, they did in the first matchup too. You can, you, you can switch Leaky back and forth. If a guy is really going off that much, okay, switch it and make Griffin prove, okay, I'm 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 going to be, I'm going to hit the shots I hit in the first game. But I think, look, both guys are freshmen. So this could be one of those games where, with the amount of pressure that's on them, one of them could struggle or possibly even both of them. I, I, I think there's so, a scenario where you see Puff Johnson and Leaky Black on the floor together. Because I saw a Tar Heel fan the other day, and I don't I don't agree with this. Said the best lineup is Love or Davis, Puff, Leaky, and then your two bigs. I don't think that's the case. What? But if, oh. if this game becomes but, but, a grinder. Okay, but really quickly, in that scenario... Who who is Brady Manic guarding? A, a a guard for them? No. You're putting him on Wendell Moore? Oh my god, no way, dude. One of the things that he struggles the most with is guarding the lane. No. No, I'm sorry. That's Oh, that's a horrendous idea. I do think though you could see that lineup if this game becomes Virginia Tech-esque where you're just Louisville-esque where you got to grind out the game defensively because you saw that lineup at NC State, that length that Puff and Leakey provide, it makes up for a lot of other deficiencies. So, Look, I'd like to have them both on the floor, but which one of those guards are you taking off the floor? Well, the biggest reason why you can't run that lineup for an extended period of time is because you can't get consistent offense from either one of them. Yeah. That's the other thing. If if Leakey was a much more consens- uh, consistent offensive produ- uh, contributor, same thing with Puff, you might say, okay, for two minutes, we're going to throw this out there. Oh, you're you're in that in that scenario, you're pretty much living and dying with Baycott and Manic, or p- probably Caleb Love shooting hail marys. Uh, that's uh, that. Oh man, I. I can't get on board with that. Now, for t- if you had to throw that lineup out there, I could get it. But I think you're, I think it's more likely that you'll see you'll see the 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 one big in there with with Puff and Leaky more than you'd see that lineup. Yeah, um, and so I th- I think Carolina's got five days to, to to get ready for this game. Hopefully, they don't overthink it the same way they did the uh, the, the first matchup, but. Oh, they're gonna they're gonna come out they're gonna come out with Caleb Love on Palaban Carroll. <laughs> the the last key to the game for Carolina is not turn the ball over, uh, because of it being on the road. This has been an issue for this team all season long at NC State. Though they had 16 turnovers, State got 22 points off of them. That's the only reason why that game wasn't more of a blowout than it, what it than what it should have been. Um, you turn the ball over 16 times in this game, you'll get run out of the gym in the first half. It's, yep, it's it's kind of it's it's really just that simple. You got to value the basketball, value each possession. They did it in the first matchup. They only could they only turned the ball over eight times. Well, they had some untimely turnovers in the first half. But that the really problem hurt was them. was half of them were by Caleb Love, all in the first half of the game, 
where Carolina was trying to push their way back into the game. Here's the other. Here's the other thing. Uh, that that lineup that you you talked about there. That is the scenario where you can play that lineup. If you have one of your guards turning it over four or five times in the first half, take the dude off the floor. Yep. It's okay to take you're not, we're not saying hey take him off don't play him again the rest of the night. Although we may have said that out of anger during that game. <laughs> but we are they, if you have another moment like that, you you can't let this game get out of hand like that because look, in the first game, you were able to climb back into the game late in that first half with the help of your crowd and the environment. This this crowd and environment ain't gonna be helping you get back into this game. Right. You get down, it's probably over. So I think that's gonna be really key for Carolina: run their offense, take good shots, but you cannot, you can't waste possessions in this game. You, the margin for error for Carolina is is, is too thin to to give the team fourteen or fifteen extra chances to put the ball in the basket. So it's it's almost too win the turnover battle. Yeah. Because you'd like to force them or, into mistakes as well. You haven't or at least break even. Yeah. I mean, you haven't you haven't forced a lot of turnovers this year. That's been one of the biggest issues for you. In this game, with a team that's got this much pressure on them, if you start turning them over, they're gonna start creating their own mistakes too. You wanna do anything that you can to add more pressure and get them more rattled because there is going to be an element of there is no denying that nobody can say oh well they're just going to come out and run Carolina out of the gym this is an easy scenario so you want to create those mistakes from them while also the main thing though is what we pointed out there you need to take care of the basketball on your side first and foremost. If you can create those turnovers to go with it, great. But if you don't protect the basketball, it really doesn't matter what they do. They're a better offensive team statistically than you are. They're a better defensive team statistically than you are. They're a better team than you so are. Then, so, so you have to do the little things to win this game. Carolina enters with just a 13% chance to win the game according to ESPN's college basketball Power in decks. We've laid out how tough this game's going to be to win. Yeah, and it's it's going to be it's going to be the toughest win that any team's ever secured in the regular season in the history of the sport. <laughs> that would, by the way, that would be we we talk about signature wins for Huber Davis in year one. That would be a pretty nice way to get a signature win for you in year one and your first win over Duke. That that would be nice. Um, and, and for what Carolina has in front of them. A win over Duke all but assures them a spot in the NCAA tournament. You're locked into the field at at that rate. Yes. Because you have yes. maybe the best win in college basketball on your resume. You avenge your early season loss. Hubert Davis gets his first win over the rival. And you send that guy out off his home court with the defeat. And what would be the most satisfying win we'd ever experienced as as Carolina fans? Carolina, a month ago, we didn't trust them to go on the road and, and win any sort of game. They've now won four straight games away from the Smith Center, yep. all in four different forms or fashions. They're going to have to draw on those experiences if they want to win this game. They're going to have to be mentally locked in, dialed for 40 minutes, and they have to play to a level of pure exhaustion that they may have to 
They may, may not, they, they may not be able to run up and down the court at Brooklyn the next Thursday. They may be so exhausted from what it's going to take <laughs> to win the if game. If you win this game, it doesn't really Don't matter. Don't really care. Yeah, it doesn't really matter then. You're in. So. Um, of course, Carolina Podcast. We don't pick Duke on here. Yeah. But. Oh, no. Don't. Maybe. I I feel I feel better about this game in a, than I'd feel about the first game. Oh. Uh, Maybe that's just me, false hope. I th- well, Maybe. I don't know about that. I I think it's I think it's the fact that you're looking on it afterwards because we thought in the first game what was our big thing. Well, we're undefeated at home, yeah, so was, this is this is the advantage that, that was we our have. Thing you know, and, and also I, this rivalry delivers. And I know a lot many people just. Ooh, uh, what, when, when does it deliver? By the way, always. There you go. You, you know. There we go. I think Carolina rises to the occasion. The pressure isn't on them in this game. The pressure is mm-hmm. all on Duke. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm not saying it's going to be pretty, but I don't care if it's pretty because there ain't a better sound in the world. Baby laugh. No. Baby laugh. There all right. That better, was what you pulled from. All there right. Ain't a better sound in the world than a quiet Cameron Indoor Stadium. And I think come 8 o'clock or so Saturday night, that's what you're going to hear because the visitors, they're going to leave victorious. So you, you, you said the one thing that I think people that are looking for a reason to pick Carolina or – if you're somebody that doesn't have the the stones, the courage, the cojones to pick Carolina, if you're looking for a reason to think the game's going to be close, it's like I I said it. The pressure is just unreal. This is a moment that nobody has ever seen in college basketball. This type of moment because we. I don't know what John Wooden's last game was like, but first of all, he didn't play in a rivalry that was this intense. Yep. So, to have all of this going into it, you're going to have, what, I think they said like 80 members of past Duke teams that are going to be there, which, by the way, how selfish is that? You're taking up, what, half the, half the attendance there for, for all the guys that, that are there? It's, it's going to be a, a wild environment, but that is a young team. There's going to be a lot of pressure on them. And for Carolina, I mean, you you pointed out some of the things that Carolina has on their plate pressure-wise. My thing is, is look, the I'm not saying they're going in thinking we're not we're not going to win, but th- I mean they're they're knowing. Look, nobody's really picking us to win this game. Yeah. If we lose this game, this isn't going to hurt our tournament. This ain't putting us out of the field if we lose, unless you get blown out like you did the first time. Maybe then, but if you come out here and just fall short you're not going to be out of the field. So you don't really have much to lose in this game. I think there'll be less pressure on Carolina. I feel like offensively they are playing better than when they faced them the first time because, remember, that was the stretch where Carolina was kind of going through some of the uglier moments of their season. Armando was struggling to finish at the rim because he had the hand injury. Mm -hmm. So now in a little bit better shape and – the other thing is, I think that that first matchup is going to be sticking in the back of their minds and is going to be sticking in the back of Hubert Davis's mind. I think you're going to see a more, much more animated Hubert Davis in this game than you saw in that first matchup. Because I think, to a certain extent, 
there might have been a little bit of nervousness, a little bit of, I'm not going to say panic, but more, you know, shell-shocked of being, realizing I'm the head coach of the Tar Heels in this rivalry matchup, in this wild environment inside of the Smith Center, which was easily the best they've seen of the year. Look, Michigan was great. Nothing compared to that environment. So maybe he will be a little more prepared this time to get it done. And, you know, I don't know. I I really hope, I really hope that the Duke students go after Caleb Love because that's a man that seems to thrive better when the opposing fans are crapping on him. So let this dude, but let whatever it takes for him to dig down deep inside, as Eminem once said, find whatever that is and bring it to this game. Because you, they need him to step up. I think all of these guys do. And I think I, I think Carolina gets it done. I, I'm that moron that honestly isn't just picking them because of the podcast. I've convinced myself they're going to win the game. That they can win this game because of the amount of pressure that Duke's going to have on them. So give me yeah, give me Carolina. There you go, guys. Both Anthony and myself predicting a Carolina win over Duke, and let's just say if that happens, that podcast that we will record late later that night. It'll be one of the more fun editions of the podcast. We will probably have some sort of romantic music in the background because that will be the sexiest edition of the podcast that we have ever done. Am I wrong in saying that? I think they're all sexy because I'm talking, but, I mean, I see where you're coming from. There we go. That is going to wrap up this edition of the podcast. So we do encourage you guys to head over to the website, HeelToughBlog.com, for all the latest football and basketball coverage. And, of course, we'll be getting you ready for the Saturday matchup against Duke. As for the podcast, you know where to find us. Every major podcasting platform, just simply search the Four Corners Podcast. will pop up, rate, review, and ultimately hit that subscribe button. The way you don't miss any editions of the pod throughout the remainder of the season. Well, that is going to wrap up this edition of the pod. I do want to thank Anthony for hosting with me. want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels and go to hell, Duke. The Four Corners Podcast is a proud member of the Basketball Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter at HoopsPodNet or visit our website, www.thebasketballpodcastnetwork.com to find the best basketball podcasts.